I greet you and welcome you to this service of praise and thanksgiving to our God on this eighth Sunday after Pentecost. Our service begins on page 355, but the first, first part of the service you probably won't need your uh, prayer book. You'll just need the service sheet. For the second part, you will need the, will need the prayer book. My name is Jim McGill, and I am uh, pleased and privileged to be here with you today. Blessed be God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And blessed be God's family, now and forever. Amen. Together. Almighty God, to you all hearts are open, all desires known, and from you no secrets are hid. Cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. The Lord be with you. And also with you. Let us pray. Almighty God, the fountain of all wisdom, you know our necessities before we ask and our ignorance in asking. Have compassion on our weakness and mercifully give us those things which for our unworthiness we dare not and for our blindness we cannot ask. Through the worthiness of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. reading from 2 Samuel. When the king was settled in his house and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies around him, the king said to the prophet Nathan, see now, I am living in the house of Cedar, but the ark of God stays in a tent. Nathan said to the king, go do all that you have in mind for the Lord is with you. But that same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan. Go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, are you the one to build me a house to live in? I have not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day. But I have been moving about in a tent and a tabernacle. Wherever I have moved about among all the people of Israel, did I ever speak a word with any of the tribal leaders of Israel, whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now therefore thus you shall say to my servant David, thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture from following the sheep to be prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel and I will plant them so that they may live in their own place 
and be disturbed no more. And evildoers shall afflict them no more, as formerly from the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel. And I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come forth from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be a father to him, and he shall be a son to me. Hear what the Spirit is saying to God's people. Psalm 89, 20-37. We will read responsibly by the half verse. I have found David my servant. With my holy oil have I anointed him. My hand will hold him fast. My arm will make him strong. No enemy shall deceive him, nor any wicked man bring him down. I will crush his foes before him and strike down those who hate him. My faithfulness and love shall be with him, and he shall be victorious through my name. I shall make his dominion extend from the great sea to the river. He will say to me, you are my father, my God and the rock of my salvation. I will make him my firstborn, and higher than the rulers of the earth. I will keep my love for him forever. My covenant will stand firm for him. I will establish his line forever, and his throne as the days of heaven. If his children forsake my law, and do not walk according to my judgments, if they break my statutes, do not keep my commandments. I will punish their transgressions with a rod and their iniquities with a lash, but I will not take my love from him, nor let my faithfulness prove false. I will not break my covenant, nor change what has gone out of my lips. Once for all, I have sworn by my holiness. His line shall endure forever, and his throne as the sun before me. It shall stand fast forevermore like the moon. A reading from Ephesians. Remember that at one time you Gentiles by birth called the uncircumcision by those who were called the circumcision, a physical circumcision made in the flesh by human hands. Remember that you were at that time without Christ, 
being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace. In his flesh he has made both groups into one and has broken down the dividing wall, that is, the hostility between us. He has abolished the law with its commandments and ordinances that he may create in himself one new humanity in place of the two, thus making peace, and might reconcile both groups to God in one body through the cross, through putting to death that hostility through it. So he came and proclaimed peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, both of us have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are citizens with the saints and also members of the household of God, built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. In him, the whole structure is joined together and grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are built together spiritually into a dwelling place for God. Hear what the Spirit is saying to God's people. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Mark. Glory to you, Lord Christ. The apostles gathered around Jesus and told him all they had done and taught. He said to them, Come away to a deserted place all by yourselves and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a deserted place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they hurried there on foot from all the towns and arrived ahead of them. As he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion for them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. When they had crossed over, they came to land at Gennesaret and moored the boat. When they got out of the boat, people at once recognized him and rushed about that whole region and began to bring the sick on mats to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he went, into villages or cities or farms, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and begged him that they might touch even the fringe of his cloak. And all who touched it were healed. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ.
Be seated, please. David seems to want to do something for God. Now, David's in a kind of a trick, and I understand David's problem. I may not be the only person in the room who realizes that when you start a project, you always have to do something else first. Very frequently, that first thing is a trip to Home Depot. Uh, and usually, the thing is the first trip to Home Depot, of which there will be at least two, before the project is finished. Now, David doesn't have any Home Depots around him, and his project is a little bit more, uh, shall we say, robust than the ones I work, at, work on in, in, in my workshop. But David has a problem nonetheless. David wants to build a house for the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant, as you remember, has been traveling with Israel lo these many years. And David and has been living in a tent. The Ark, as you will recall, is the is, it represents the, the very presence of God. The top of the ark is a, is a flat thing, and the cherubim are bowing down, and their wings go this way. You saw it on the, on the Raiders of the Lost Ark, you know. That was the real ark, don't you think? Well, that is called the mercy seat, and that flat top is where God, according to, to uh, Israel, that's where God sits. <clears throat> that's where God actually rests, where God is. So David wants the Ark of the Covenant to be housed in a, 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 a nice, a glorious temple. I mean, David lives in a house of cedar. Why shouldn't God live in a house of cedar? And David says, you know, Things are pretty quiet around here. I think I'll stir things up. And I will do something glorious for God. Now, if you were here last week, you heard about David doing glorious things for God. You heard last week a, uh, a sermon that kind of took David to task for his uh, disingenuous glorification of God. Well, you're going to hear another one today, and this is not because Mike and I have anything against David. It is a reminder that as good as we are, and as much as God loves us, every single one of us, we continue to be scoundrels much of the time. This is, I hope I'm not surprising anybody that I realize you're a scoundrel some of the time, because the truth is, God loves us in spite of us sometimes. It's like you love your kids and your grandkids. Sometimes you are called on to love them in spite of them. It doesn't matter what you have done. God still loves you. It doesn't matter how you have decided to live your life. You know, all these people 
all these people we see throughout the Bible who are friends of God. David is one of them. David is, is a friend of God. We know that. We read the psalm today. That psalm was written by, let's see, uh, who was it? Oh, I think it was David. <laughs> As a great pain to the great love that God has for David. I'm not here to tell you that that, 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 that uh, psalm was, was wrong or anything, but I am here to tell you that just like you heard last week and just like you're going to hear today, David is sometimes one who can confuse the glory of God with the glory of David. David says, I'm going to build this great temple to house the Ark of the Covenant. That's what the temple was for, you know. And David says it's going to be gorgeous and beautiful because I live in a house. Why shouldn't God live in a house, benevolent person that I am? It's going to be a magnificent thing, he says. And before Nathan has that dream, Nathan says, yeah, go ahead, do what you want. But David forgot something that he should have done first. David says, this is going to be a great temple that I am going to build. You think David intended to pick up a hammer? Do you? No. Do you think David was going to dig deep into his own pocket to pay for the temple? No. David was going to take this from the taxes of the people. And David was not going to lift a finger. And David was planning to stand beside this and say, look what a great thing I'm doing. For the glory of God. No. Sorry, David. It's not for the glory of God. Clearly, it's for the glory of David. That doesn't mean we don't remember David as the great king. We do remember David as the great king. But we also remember that David, along with Moses, along with Abraham, along with all the other, Joshua, the son of Nun, all of them were scoundrels in their day. They had their days just like you do and just like I do. David forgot that the glorification of God is not only up to David, and it doesn't come by way of glorifying David either. That's not how it works. David forgot something. So what was the problem? Why didn't God want, why didn't God want David to build God a temple? Well, it turns out that the thing is, God's lived in a tent all this time. God's got pretty comfortable in the tent. God is not confined. And it turns out that God doesn't like to be put in a box any more than you do. Oh, you know him. He's a, he's a priest. Oh, God. Come on. You know him. He's a West Point graduate. Oh, no, come on. You know him, he's a Democrat. Oh, gee, come on. He lives on the other side of the street or on the other side of the tracks or on the other side of 
the bayou. I was talking to a guy at the cathedral. He said, you know, in a lot of towns, it's uh, the people who live on the other side of the tracks are the low class. He said, for us, it was on the other side of the bayou because I was one of them. I lived on the other side of the bayou from River Oaks. God, it turns out, doesn't like to be put in a box. Oh, I get it. So why doesn't God want David to build him a, a build God a, uh, a, a temple, a tabernacle to hold the Ark of the Covenant? Well, it turns out that God has another idea. Now, David did not have access to the writings of Paul. And David did not live, uh, did not have access to, uh, David did not live in Ephesus either. Paul wrote to the people in Ephesus, and he says this. Now, now the people in Ephesus, as you will certainly recall, the people in Ephesus were not Jews. That all of the first Christians were Jews. You you know, Jesus and, and his friends, people around him, they were all Jews. So the very first Christians were were Jews first. But when Paul started Paul's ministry, the the primary focus of his ministry was to bring in the Gentiles as well. A Gentile is someone who is not a Jew. Actually, the word Gentile means someone who's not us. But in this context, it means someone who is not a Jew. Sometimes they are referred in the Bible referred to in the Bible as Greeks. Paul is reaching out to the, to the people in Ephesus who have come to Jesus, who have come to know Christ without being Jews first. And he is crazy about the people in Ephesus. He says, you know that at one time you who were without Jesus were not heirs to the covenant of the promise. Now he talks about circumcision and uncircumcision and all that kind of stuff, but what he's saying is you were outside and now you're inside. You were far off and now you have been brought near. Because Paul understands that God will not be the God only of the Jews. And they, you know, he, this God was frequently referred to as the God of Judah or the God of Jews. Judah meaning the place of the Jews. But this God is not content, according to Paul, according to what Paul has learned, according to what has been revealed to him by meeting Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus and by understanding Judaism better than practically anybody else. And by listening to what God is saying, God is not satisfied with being the God only of the Jews. God wants to be free. In fact, God declares God's self to be free, to be the God of all people, no matter where they are no matter who they are, no matter how they act, and no matter whether you like them or not. God wants graciousness and and great things for all people. There is a hymn in our hymnal somewhere in the early 400s. 
I mean page number of hymn numbers called Immortal Invisible God Only Wise. Now you may have heard that. The second verse of that hymn says this unresting, unhasting, and silent as light. Unresting, unhasting, and silent as light. Nor wanting, nor wasting, thou rulest in might. God is not in a hurry. God is not confined. God is quiet sometimes. And God doesn't waste time. God is always slow, but God is never late. You ever notice that? God is always slow, but God is never late. So the second part of that, after they say, after it says, uh, uh, nor wanting nor wasting thou rulest in might, thy justice like mountains high soaring above thy clouds, which are fountain of goodness and love. God rains down the rain of goodness and love, the showers of of blessing and hope and grace from the clouds on everybody, on you, on your families, on your neighbors, on your neighbor whose dog barks all night long, on the people that you hate. God rains down all that goodness and love and mercy. But God's justice which is to be for all people, soars above even those clouds. Before there can be goodness and justice and mercy coming from God into your life, there is supposed to be justice for all people. This is your work. This is my work. This is James's work. This is David's work. This is Donna's work. This is the work to which we are called to work for that justice. Because for better or worse, God is not in charge. Now, you probably don't hear that very often. I went to a church last week of a denomination that I will not disclose. Uh, I went to it to see my grandson baptized for the second time. (laughs) In which, during the sermon, the pastor was trying to tell everyone, was trying to, to teach us how to overcome obstacles in our lives. And it was a pretty good sermon. But in that sermon, he said, you've got to remember three things. And I don't remember what the other two were, but I remember the first one. The first one is you've got to remember God is in charge. Well, I got lost about that time. Because when I read Genesis, 
I read that God put the man and the woman in the garden to take care of it and have dominion over it. Dominion means a number of things, but one of the things it means is it is supposed to be treated like your domicile, like your house, like the place where you call home because you are going to run it. You, the man and the woman, are to till the ground and to work it. This is your place. God gave it to us and didn't even charge rent. Sadly, all of the things that are going on in this life are not because of God. God is not in charge. If God was in charge, George Floyd would be alive. And so would Breonna Taylor. You are in charge. God is not in charge until God has been given charge over every human heart. I like to have God in charge of my heart. And I do it about 15% of the time. Because the rest of the time I'm too interested in what I want. I'm too interested in what's good for me. I'm too interested in building a temple glorious to God so that people will know who Jim is. That's the way I live my life. I'm probably the only one here. I hope that's nervous laughter. (laughs) The thing is, we are in charge of this world. Which means not only do we, we are not, we are in charge of it. We didn't make it. That glory belongs to God. But we have made it what it has become. May God save us from ourselves. So Paul says, you who have been far off are now brought near because we have this work to do. You who have been far off have been brought near in order that you might inherit the promise. That's good news, isn't it? Well, the other side of that is the promise comes with hard work. It comes with serving day and night. It comes with receiving wonderful gifts from God and rejoicing in those gifts, but they're not for you alone. All these people up here have a gift of music. And where are they every Sunday? They're here sharing that gift with you and me. It's not just for them, and they've realized that. When it's not Sunday morning and they are not here sharing that gift, then they're scoundrels, just like you and I are. But but I'm serious. This This is what God has in mind. God has in mind that you take what you do and make it for the community. That's why, that's why Paul is reaching out to the Ephesians. Okay, Eric, I know Paul didn't write Ephesians. But somebody who claimed to be called wrote, called Paul, wrote Ephesians, and he wrote a lot like Paul. So, a little disclaimer there. Full disclosure. So, the author of Ephesians is telling those who are outside 
you are now inside because we can't do all this work ourselves. We cannot be in every place and at every time. We need all human beings the world over. Paul didn't know about the world over. But we need human beings the world over to understand that justice and mercy and peace are the things that God wants for every single person. So what did David forget? If God is, if, if what God wants is to be free, to be among all people, what did David forget? Well, the clue comes in the gospel lesson for today. The gospel lesson today starts off with, with, uh, that the disciples returned. Well, where'd they return from? Well, we skipped that part. Last week we heard about uh, the death of John the baptizer and all of that, and that was very terrible. And then the next part, which we didn't read, is where Jesus sends the disciples out two by two to go into the neighboring towns and villages and preach the word, preach the gospel, heal people, and cast out demons. So they went out, and what did they discover? They were inspired to, pe to preach the gospel. They healed people, or God healed people through them, and demons were indeed cast out. Can you imagine what it would be like if you walked into a hospital room and said, be healed and the person got up can you imagine that would that would rock your world wouldn't it well it rocked their world and they came back fairly babbling about all of the things that they had seen and that they had done in christ's name and so jesus is kind of mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and he says to them come away to a deserted place and they did. They got in the boat and went to the other side. And they went to a deserted place. And he said, rest, rest a while. Well, they rested some, but mostly what they did was they talked. And Jesus listened. They talked, and Jesus listened. They told Jesus what was on their minds. And Jesus listened. And he blessed them. There's more in the story, but the point here is that the first thing David didn't do was go find God. Go find God first. And when you've got that down, then go ahead and do whatever it is you want to do. One of the prophets said, said you, you say next week we'll do this and, and, and next Friday we're going to do that. And what you should say is if it's God's will, we'll do this and we'll do that. That was pretty good. That was one of the prophets. Who was it, Eric? Eric doesn't know. He's only in his second year of seminary. Give him a break. We don't go to God and find out what it is that God wants first. And the truth is that God loves every single person that I hate. I try not to hate anybody, but I'm not successful in that endeavor. 
every one, every single one, is as special to God as I am. I am forced to say that because I know it's true, because I am charged with preaching gospel, and that is gospel. If you ask God, the result of your project is supposed to be justice. It's supposed to be beauty. It's supposed to be peace. It's supposed to be merciful. It is supposed to be forgiving. The result of your project is supposed to edify and amplify the gospel. The result of your project is supposed to be according to God's will. And you already know what that is. Well, I don't know what God wants. Oh, come on. God doesn't care if you're building a dining room table or a toy car for your grandchild or dinner. God knows about all of those things. Your work is to be for the values of the kingdom of God, the ones that last. See, there are certain values that, that obtain in this life and in the next one, and I've, I've just named some of them. Justice and mercy and truth and love and grace. If I start all my projects by praying to God, I may or may not have success in my project. But I probably ought to start out by giving it a shot. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is, seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten and not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made, for us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven. By the power of the Holy Spirit, he became incarnate in the Virgin Mary and was made man. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day, he rose again in accordance with the Scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. 
with the Father and the Son, he is worshipped and glorified. He has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. The prayers of the people. With all our heart and with all our mind, let us pray to the Lord. For the peace from above, for the loving kindness of God, and for the salvation of our souls, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have compassion. For the peace of the world, for the welfare of the Holy Church of God, and for the unity of all peoples, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have compassion. For the people and clergy of the church, for bishops and other ministers, the priests in our community, Mike, Jim, Craig, Bill, and Lillian, our bishops, Andy, Hector, Jeff, and Kai, in the Diocese of Texas, Trinity Jacksonville, Trinity Longview, and Trinity Marshall, the Archbishop of Canterbury, Justin, and our presiding bishop, Michael, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have compassion. For our parish and our vestry, that the source of wisdom may guide us, the source of strength may support us, and the source of love may unify us, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have compassion. For St. Thomas the Apostle School, that those who teach and those who learn may rejoice in the knowledge of your truth, that we may teach our students to love whatever is just and true and good, and that we may be bearers of your grace to all who come through our doors. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have compassion. For all who govern and hold authority in every nation, for the members of the armed forces throughout the world, and for all who struggle for peace and justice, that they may act with prudence and vision to plant the signs of your dominion everywhere. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have compassion. For this city, for every city and community, and for those who live in them, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have compassion. For the good earth which God has given us, and for the wisdom and will to conserve it, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have compassion. For the aged and infirm, for the widowed and orphans, and for the sick and the suffering, especially Chris, Jean, Jerome, Mickey, John, Levon, Paxton, and Rick. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have compassion. The congregation is invited to name their own celebrations or petitions silently and aloud. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have compassion. For the poor and the oppressed, for the unemployed and the destitute, for prisoners and captives, and for all who remember and care for them, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have compassion. For all who have died in the hope of resurrection and for all the departed, let us pray to the Lord. 
Lord, have compassion. For deliverance from all danger, violence, oppression, and degradation, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have compassion. That we may end our lives in faith and hope, without suffering and without reproach, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have compassion. In the communion of St. Thomas and of all the saints, let us commend ourselves and one another and all our life to Christ our God. To thee, thee, O Lord, Lord, our our God. Let us confess our sins against God and our neighbor. Have mercy upon us, most merciful merciful Father. Father, In your compassion, forgive us our sins, known and unknown, things done and left undone. And so uphold us by your Spirit, that we may live and serve you in newness of life, to the honor and glory of your name, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Strengthen you in all goodness, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, keep you in eternal life. Amen. Will you stand to me? The peace of the Lord be always with you. And also with you. Be seated, please. Is anyone here uh, entitled to make announcements? Like a a warden or something? No? Okay. Uh, I have a couple of announcements that need to uh, make. First of all, a week from this Saturday, the 31st of July, is the next time we'll have food distribution uh, here at I've been to it, and it's a wonderful thing. You come at 7.45 in the morning. We're done by 10 o'clock. The food truck comes in with the food. You don't have to bring the food. It helps if you if you assist in uh, breaking down the food into bags, and then we deliver the bags to the people who drive by in their car. We serve uh, a couple hundred, two, three hundred people every single month, and people are hungry. So it's a good thing to do. It doesn't cost you anything except getting up early on a Saturday morning. So come and do that. The second thing is that on Wednesday, the third of the coming month, which is August, on the third of August, Monday the third of August at six o'clock p.m. Where's Bob? At six o'clock p.m. I think in uh, in Parish Hall, in Chris Hall. There will be a uh, barbecue uh, dinner and get together. It will be the first time we've been able to get together since, uh, since the, the dreaded COVID. 
and uh, we ask, and, and also to welcome Alex who, uh, Hillis, who will be the family minister uh, going forward, and we look forward to his work as, as well. Uh, so, if you plan to come, and I encourage you to do so, I plan to come, please let us know that you're going to be here so the Holy Smokers will know how much food you prepare. You can do it online if you're an online person. If you're not an online person, just call the church office and let them know you'll be here. And there you go. Yes, ma'am. It's the first Wednesday in August. Oh, there'll be bingo, barbecue and bingo, yeah, yeah, and it should be done. Okay, thank you. Okay, uh, the third thing is uh, you will have noticed perhaps that uh, Eric is among us. Eric, would you stand up? Eric is a second year seminarian, which is why he doesn't know which property it was. <laughs> he doesn't get all this until the end of the seminary. Eric, uh, beginning in September, Eric will be assigned to St. Thomas for his field work. And he will be among us to learn about ministry. He will work with Alex, some in family ministry. He'll work with Mike uh, as he prepares for ordination. He is a uh, seminary at the Iowa School, which, as you know, is the uh, diocesan school uh, for people to go through seminary work in preparation for ordination. The Iona School, my sister graduated from the Iona School in West Texas, which was modeled after the Iona School here. And I know all about it because I used to get a lot of phone calls from her. And so the, the, the thing is, the Iona School uh, is done on weekends and in a retreat in the summertime. So it's uh, sort of like an guard, but not really. I mean, <laughs> but what it means is that most of the work gets done by the seminary. If you go to a residential seminary like I did, you open the top of your head and some professor pours in there all the stuff that he's learned over the past 65 years of ministry, and then off he goes. But the work is mostly done by the seminaries themselves. They are led very capably by, uh, by faculty and staff members. But that's kind of what Eric is going through right now. So keep giving you prayers. Keep all seminaries in your prayers, will you? You know, one of the proofs of the existence of a loving God is that some members in seminary actually continue to exist after many years. It's awful. You're not coming, you're not going, you're just there. So, Eric is among us. Welcome, Eric. We're glad you're here. Oh, good for you. I'm glad you applauded because I'm about to ask you to do that again. Uh, Jack and Grant, would you all please come up here, please? Grant's second time 
as an acolyte, and they are beginning where I begin. Acolyting is, a, is uh, at once uh, service, it's helpful, it, is, it helps the, the priest not have to worry about carrying the candles and carrying the crosses and all that kind of stuff. And it also is a way for them to understand that service is a good thing. And so I want you to, to pray with me as they begin this, this new ministry. Would you please? Lord God, we lift up to you, Jack and Grant, as they begin their life of service to you in your church. We ask you to strengthen them and bless them under the guidance of those who will direct them and teach them so that they may be faithful ministers in your temple, so that they may help others and they may always seek your glory and not their own. We ask this in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's thank them for their ministry.
Christ. It is made ready for those who love him and who want to love him more. So come, you who have much faith and you who have little. You who have been here often and you who have not been for a long time or ever before. You who have tried to follow Jesus and you who have failed. Come, not because the church invites you. It is Jesus Christ. And he invites you to meet him here. The Lord be with you. At your command all things came to be, the vast expanse of interstellar space, galaxies, suns, the planets in their courses, and this fragile earth our island home. By your will they were created and have their being. From the primal elements you brought forth the human race, and blessed us with memory, reason, and skill. You made us the rulers of creation, but we turned against you and betrayed your trust and we turned against one another. Have mercy, Lord, for we are sinners in your sight. Again and again you called us to return. Through prophets and sages you revealed your righteous law. And in the fullness of time you sent your only Son, born of a woman, to fulfill your law, to open for us the way of freedom and peace. By his blood he reconciled us. By his wounds we are healed. And therefore we praise you, joining with the heavenly chorus, with prophets, apostles, and martyrs, and with all those in every generation who have looked to you in hope, to proclaim with them your glory in their unending So, Father, we who have been redeemed by him and made a new people by water and the Spirit, now bring before you these gifts. Sanctify them by your Holy Spirit to be the body and blood 
of Jesus Christ our Lord. On the night he was betrayed, he took bread, said the blessing, broke the bread, and gave it to his friends and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is given for you. Do this for the remembrance of me. After supper, he took the cup of wine, gave thanks, and said, Drink this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for many, for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you do this, do it for the remembrance of me. Remembering now his work of redemption and offering to you this sacrifice of thanksgiving, we, we celebrate, celebrate his death and resurrection as we await the day of his coming. Lord God of our fathers, God of Abraham, Hagar, and Sarah, God of Isaac and Rebekah, Jacob, Rachel, Leah, Zilpah, and Bilpah, God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, Open our eyes to see your hand at work in the world about us. Deliver us from the presumption of coming to this table for solace only and not for strength, for pardon only and not for renewal. Let the grace of this Holy Communion make us one body, one spirit in Christ, that we may worthily serve the world in his name. Risen Lord, Lord, be known to us in the breaking of the bread. Accept these prayers and praises, Father, through Jesus Christ, our great high priest, to whom with you in the Holy Spirit, your church gives honor, glory, and worship from generation to generation. Amen. Amen. And now as our Savior Christ has taught us, we are bold to say, our, our Father, Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. And now, in the season of Pentecost, we pray as written by George Ella Lyon. Our mother, who art in the kitchen cooking us up, hallowed may we see all that is your kingdom here delivered into our hands. Your will in children and trees leaping out on earth as if it were heaven. Give us this day bread we could feed the world and snatch us bald-headed if we try to swallow it all. Don't forgive us till we learn it is all forgiving. That salve you've got in a pot on the back of the stove only heals when everybody has some. And heed us not if we believe you look like us and love us best and gave us the true truth with a license to kill others writ inside. Deliver us from this evil, for it is yours, this kitchen we call universe, where you stir up our favorite treat the Milky Way, folding deep into sweet our little sphere, 
with its powerful glory of rainforests and oceans and mountains in feather bowl or mist forever if we don't blow it up and ever if we don't tear it down. Amen. Ah, women, ah, children, ah, reckon she's about fed up. We better make room at the table for everybody before she yells out and turns our table over before she calls it off, this banquet we've been hoarding, this paradise we aim to save with bombs. These are the gifts of God, and they are for you, the people of God. Take them in remembrance that God was willing to die for you, and still is.
Our post-communion prayer is on page eight of your service leaf. Let us pray. God of truth, we have seen with our eyes and touched with our hands the bread of life. Nourish our faith that we may grow in love for you and for each other and nourish the world in your image. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Go, in, go forth into the world in peace. Be of good courage. Hold fast to that which is good. Render to no one evil for evil. Strengthen the faith-hearted. Support the weak. Help the afflicted. Honor everyone. Love and serve the Lord, rejoicing in the power of the Holy Spirit. And the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, be upon you and remain with you this day and always. Amen. Amen.